Hello everyone, welcome back to Fresh Perspective. With me today is Andre Leroux. Andre, thank you very much for joining Fresh Perspective to share your perspective with us. Thank you, Francois. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, so it's a real honor to be <laughs> on your podcast at last. I mean, we've known each other for, I mean, what is that? We've known each other for 20, 25 years. So yeah, 20, yeah, 25, easily. Really, yeah. It's amazing yeah. to see, and I, I'm really enjoying the fresh perspective that you're bringing to people. So it's an honor to be here, <laughs> to be honest. Thank well, I want to share your your fresh perspective with with the folks, uh, the tens of people listening out there. It was one for the archives, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I want to kick off with a very simple question. Want to ask all the guests is, is what it, what is it that you do? Okay, so. Um, I usually struggle to explain this to my father, yeah. <laughs> so I need to think. I've been thinking about it for years now. So, in a nutshell, what I do is I am in strategic planning. So I help guys develop strategies or various types of strategies, or I help them develop or um, yeah, develop strategic solutions for their businesses or where they are or where their businesses are. Um, the best way I can explain what I do because there's a few nuances to what I do. So it's strategy, that's sort of like the sandbox where I play, but it's, it's where complexity and strategy and probability meets. So where those three things come together. So more often than not, the projects that I do has got to do, there's a high degree of complexity and risk and uncertainty to it. Uh, there's a strategic outcome and the focus that I bring to it or the, the thing that I bring to it is I try to increase the probability of a successful outcome. And then to do that, I've got various methodologies and best practice and good practice um, and basically a broad spectrum of integrated knowledge and expertise that I bring to the table. And then using those methodologies and processes that I developed over the years, you can then increase the probability of a successful outcome. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what I do. And then you, you can break that up into sort of like six components. So there's strategy engineering or strategy planning, which is basically, you know, how do I get how more effectively can I get from A to B or where I need to be? Um, and then there are a few peripheral services that becomes very important in strategy development, specifically when it starts becoming more complex. So it's things like complex decision-making. Um, it's interesting as, as human beings, we, we go to university or we learn, but you, we never get to learn how to make decisions, specifically not complex decisions. So it's an interesting field so it's a lot of complex decision making that I do. And then uh, a, a big part of that is also stress testing or, or red teaming. It's where my company gets its name from. So red teaming is a critical thinking, contrarian thinking process that you can use to stress test ideas, concepts, and so forth. So it's a, it's a lovely process that you can stress test your strategy, your thinking, your idea, or your concept. And then with that, there is uh, scenario planning and there is behavior change. And then um, also things like belief systems and culture design. So it's within that, that gambit and that spectrum of strategy where I play. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a lot of stuff. I love it. And I want to delve into all of it. So um, you, you, you talked about decision making and that we never get taught how to make decisions. We learn a lot of things and knowledge, but never how to make decisions. So talk to us about how do you develop better decision-making skills? So, so decision-making, so first of all, decision-making has got a, it's a, so that what makes decision-making difficult for most of us, most of the time, is that there is a strong emotional component to decision-making. There's, there's a, well, actually there's a, to be more correct, there's a, there's a strong subconscious component to decision-making. Um, you know, the subconscious starts playing a big role when you start making decisions, specifically complex decisions. So the, 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 the fancy scientists or the really learned people will tell you the following statistic. And they'll, they'll say that when human beings are under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and there's a lot of uncertainty or complexity, your brain doesn't like that. So what you do is you, your brain, when it becomes too much for you, and, and all of us has got a ceiling, right? A level that we can manage. So when that happens over a long period of time, we, we start making emotional decisions or what they, what they say, um, system one kicks in. So your subconscious, your, 
your quick dis, uh, your quick processes in your brain starts kicking in and then you you start going down a few things happen let's start with there so you start going down rabbit holes that's one thing because of all the uncertainty used in your brain you start creating future scenarios based on things that happened in the past or might have happened in the past because that's what your your brain does right it starts to create context it needs to resolve this decision that you can't make a that you yeah needs to resolve this problem needs to resolve it so so basically under long periods of stress um you start thinking back about you start thinking about you know okay when did this happen to me previously in my life or you know what if this happens so mm -hmm. all of those things then works together to make decision making quite difficult and more often than not as human beings we tend to make emotional decisions based on past experiences based on these highly uncertain environments that we find ourselves in i mean take COVID 19 for argument's sake i mean everybody's under far more pressure than ever before so what you see is you see a lot of not rational but you see a lot of emotional decision making taking place or people just freezing i don't know what to do so decision making actually starts there it's about understanding the human condition that's the most important thing mm -hmm. so the first step is understand that there is a human condition and then if you understand that then it's about building in processes principles protocols to help you make a better all right decision. before we go there i want to talk yeah. about that unconscious emotional thing yeah. kicking in that you, you, you yeah. describe um <clears throat> i understand that we all we all have that right when there's yeah. pressure it triggers us in a way to think like when did this happen before when did i feel this way before mm -hmm. or it reminds you of when you felt stressed before or yeah. things like that and are you saying that that then causes you to make a more emotional decision? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not always, I need to just say that not always, okay. because it, not all people are the same, but just most of us. I mean, there's even a number. I think there is, if memory serves me right, it's either, it's either someone like Daniel Kahneman or it's Dan Ariely or someone like that. They've even put a number to it. Or one of the big consulting firms, they've measured it. It's like up to 75% of, something it's a number like that up to you know up to 75 percent of those decisions then are emotional decisions mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a, it's a isn't it dan i really that also said we we make emotional decisions that we then then rationally justify so kind of like almost all our decisions are actually emotional 100 percent, because you you start going down rabbit holes right so you start going down a route and then, you know, confirmation bias or a whole range of biases. Explain, explain confirmation bias. So confirmation bias is just, let me just think how to explain that clearly. Um, confirmation bias, if I, st I stand to be corrected, but I think, st I think confirmation bias, the best way to explain that is that you've now gone down this route. You are certain that this is the correct route. And then you try to convince yourself. In other words, you create confirmation that this is the best route that you've gone down. And you start looking for cues to confirm that you've gone down the right rabbit hole. It's like when we read a piece of literature. Um, so it's like when we read yeah, a complex piece of literature. Let's say we read something like Moby Dick. It's an interesting book. I like Moby Dick. It's a really interesting book. So Moby Dick is a really complex piece of literature because it not only does it... Um, communicate certain social truths it, it, it there's certain satirical truths that's being communicated in the book about how society is being judged during this time period that maybe dick you know uh, happens um but you can also read it as a comedy it's a really really funny book so the reason i use that as an example is it's all got to do with context and, and what you look for if, if there isn't someone that's telling you oh, well you know that you know this character is being portrayed like this in a specific light and you need to understand the historical context to understand why that is significant if there's no one pointing that out for you when you make decisions you're going to make emotional decisions and you're going to look for things to confirm your decisions in other words oh you know well, because this has happened you know oh I'm, i've made the right decision yeah, yeah. so that's uh, i think that's a simple way of explaining yeah. confirmation bias is a fascinating field for me um you know the idea that once we have a decision locked in especially if it's emotional yeah as if we scan the environment for things that confirm that that is the right decision or 100%. Um, 
that is the thing to fear, even fear. Yeah. We scan 100%. the environment, see that's why you should fear that, or that's why you should be, be careful for, um, re regarding that. So you also, also said, uh, sorry, go, go ahead. No, 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 it's just also, what is interesting is that I think, um, you know, part of my job, just like your job, is we, we have to read a lot. So we have to assimilate a lot of information. And what I find is a lot of the time, um, there's a lot of thought leaders that tell us, you know, things like, like, don't be afraid, be bold, be confident. So not only are we trying to find confirmation bias in the decisions that we've made, we're also subconsciously reinforced by certain powerful voices or influential voices that's telling us, yeah, well, don't doubt yourself. Mm. You know, yeah, go down this road, stick with your decisions, you know, <laughs> almost like even if it is a bad one. Even if it's a bad one, stick to it. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, just stick to it. Just be brave. Just follow you. You know, follow what you're doing. Yeah, just be confident. So all of that stuff plays together to make decision making quite complex. You say the brain looks for. It wants to create context because if it's got context, it can. You know, you, you it enables it to make a decision, okay. even if the context that it's crea it's creating is like confirmation bias or looking to the past or yeah, yeah. comparing apples and pears or yeah. oranges or stones, you know, yeah. sometimes just to get context. Can you say a bit yeah. more about that? So, um, so context is an interesting thing. So your, your brain has been hardwired to just, you know, make decisions within context. In other words, um, if I choose between A, B, and C, your brain would like you to understand the value or the significant difference between A, B, and C. Or what value am I sacrificing in choosing between A, B, and C? So Dan Ariely in his book, um, Predictably Irrational, mm. um, he tells a story about, um, it's, it's something to the effect of there's a newspaper and um, they want to increase the amount of subscriptions they get to the newspaper. And they've got a, a newspaper offering and there is an online offering. Yeah. So in other words, you can buy the newspaper physically or you can read it online or you can do both. So they, did, they started doing experiments and they, they, to see which option and at which price would people buy. So then they, let's say they sold the newspaper at $50 or I think pounds a month, something like that. And then they created a second combination uh, and that is you could um, uh, read it online uh, for let's say $100. And then they created a third option. And the third option was something to the effect of, you know, you could read it online um, and you can get a physical newspaper also for $100 or £100. Mm -hmm. And then what they found through the research is that everybody or the majority of people started choosing the option where they could get both. And the reason for that is people understood what they were getting. Mm -hmm. They could compare. So a, they, could, they could compare. So your brain likes clarity and and complex I mean, and that, all that stuff is obviously ancient right that comes from you know a, a time long ago when there was a far more dangers in the world and the world was far more dangerous so your your brains adapted to this you know fight or flight you know i really need to be certain um, mechanism that lives in your brain so it's all connected with with that at the end of the day what i also what i was also curious about that you mentioned is what how do you stress test ideas i mean Maybe you can talk about two areas within a company. Yeah. I, kinda, I, I can kind of see how you can do that for a company, but in mm -hmm. life, how do you stress test your decisions or your ideas or your strategies mm -hmm. in life? Well, I mean, it's it, it actually not, I don't think it'll be dissimilar. And it, it, it comes back to decision-making, right? It, it, some of the same principles that you can use in making good or quality, or they call quality decisions. It's not, it's not about making a good decision. It's about making a quality decision. What's a, what's a quality decision? So, so a quality decision is making the best possible decision with what you know right now. Okay. Based on and what it's about going through a process. I mean, there's a, there's a good book that was written called um, quality decision making. Um, and I mean, it's a, it's a book that, that tells you exactly the principles of what a good quality or what a quality decision is. So there's a lot of, Process and principles, but uh, let me create a little bit of structure around that conversation. So, and I can, I can take it back to, to companies. Like one of the things that I, I always tell companies when you do their decisions, when I need to make decisions for them or when I need to stress test or something, I always start with 
help helping them understand and understanding myself but what is the prevalent belief system in the organization or the company all of us has got a belief system mm. and the mistake that we make is we don't spend enough time thinking about what is our belief system and we don't spend enough time writing it down so mm. it's almost like it's it's, it's like it's um uh, that Stephen Covey book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, it's almost like it, it almost starts there. If, if you can understand what you believe and you can understand why you believe that and what your principles are and purpose and identity, then things like stress testing ideas and making decisions becomes far easier because you've got a baseline. You've created your own personal context to do that. Mm. And that's the that's a starting point for whether you're stress testing an idea or making a decision. That's the critical thing. And it's, uh, so that that it means it's based on your beliefs, and you've also tested that. You figure that out as you as you've gone along in life. So it's based on those beliefs, and you are aware of those beliefs. You know why yeah. you believe those things, not based on experience from the past alone. 100 percent because it it needs to be i mean like uh, carl jung calls it um, individuation so the process that you go through to become an individual yeah. i th i think a lot of people have already disagree with me but i think you see the same things in companies companies individuate as well they come into their own in regards to who they are or the purpose that they want to attain or they want to realize in the world or the vision they want to realize in the world mm -hmm. i think there's strong commonality there but it does start with that Understand your belief system. Um, th that's where it all starts. Uh, not a lot of, because people get stuck with vision and values and mission. And those things are very rudimentary. They're good to have, but that's not what a belief system is. A belief system is a little bit, a little bit deeper. A belief system starts with who am I? Or who do I need to be? Or who do I want to be in the future? And obviously that's an iterative process that you have to go through to understand that, right? But that's, what, that's the core of any kind of belief system. You can go back thousands of years. You can, go to, uh, you can go to the Spartans, the Romans, Genghis Khan, Mongol tribes. You can go through to the samurai. You can go through to medieval knights, the Ottoman Empire. Any, any one of those big societal groups or subgroups started with identity. This is who we are. This is why we are here. This is what we want to achieve this is where we want to go you know so i mean that's a quite a complex um discussion because there's a lot in it I like but that but that's where it starts right that's where it starts so if you i mean there's something that always sticks to me so i put a bit of a history nut so i i, I probably read way too much and <laughs> than i'm supposed to and i remember like i'm the best person to invite to a cocktail party because i can talk for hours about useless facts that no one really cares about. But it makes me very interesting at cocktail parties. That's about it. So um, I'll give you an example of, of identity because what we do is we, we create, so we spoke about context and we spoke about confirmation bias. So, I mean, we all create identity markers or what we should do is we should create identity markers. Yeah, so if you're a company, that. you create a logo. But as human beings, I mean, this is very Jungian psychology, but we should create our own symbols to communicate who we are based on our understanding of where we are and where we're going. Right? So if you look at the Romans, there's a very famous, um, I don't know, I, I probably won't be able to pronounce the Italian name and I'm not even going to try, but there's a very famous statue of a wolf, a wolf mother, a female wolf. And then there are two young boys suckling on her. And that's Remus and Romulus. That, those are the, the founding fathers of Rome. So remember in a society like that, you know, in a society, in, in, a, in an ancient society like that, if you knew that the guys, oh, I am supposed to fight now, in other words, the Romans, their forefathers come from wolves. Mm. You know, they, they associate themselves with wolves. That's a terrifying symbol. So all of that stuff works together to create a tapestry of, of who you are. Um, so is that, so if you can stress testing your ideas and sense checking your ideas and making good decisions becomes infinitely, it becomes a lot easier, not infinitely, but it becomes a lot easier if you understand who I am and what I believe. Mm. And those are called the, the unchanging principles that guide you through life because then you've got context to make the decision. In. Then it's about understanding, okay, what are the things I don't know? What have I not thought of? 
What am I worried about? Have I done my homework? Am I logical in making my decision or stress testing this idea? So it, the core piece is who I am or what I believe. And then the other parts is a process that you just go through. And that's ritual, right? So you can, you know, and then there are, I mean, there are multiple decision-making techniques ranging from complex to simple, but it's, it's a process that you have to go through. But say more about identity markers or belief markers. Okay. What does what does that look like, you know, for a, an individual? So I'm assuming for a company, it's it's a logo, it's it's the brand, mm. uh, you know, the things they associate with. What does that look yeah. like for an in, individual? So I mean, <clears throat> so so, I mean, there's a few ways to look at this. I can only tell you how I look at it. I mean, a lot of people will have their own opinion. So, for me, identity is far more than your logo or the brand <clears throat> so what, what i use is this, uh, this, this there are two ladies that wrote a book in the early 2000s called um, margaret mark and carol s pearson it's called the the, the the hero and the ruler i think that's the name and it's got to do with archetypal identities or jungian identities so there are there are 12 jungian identities so it's not, it's not like the Zodiac. Those are star signs. <laughs> this is identity. <laughs> you aren't an Aries. Okay, so I'm an Aries because I'm, you know, I was born in it. That's confirmation bias. Okay, this yeah, that's, that's a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jungian identities, obviously, so it comes from the fact that we've been telling stories to each other for literally centuries, right? Centuries and centuries. We've been telling stories as a way to communicate truth to make sense of the world, right? Mm. So as part of that storytelling process, certain identities come from those stories. If you, if you analyze the, the you know, old uh, mythology, whether it be Norse mythology or Greek mythology, you know, and the, obviously the clever people and Carl Jung and those guys, they started analyzing those stories. And from those stories, you get certain identity types or, or archetypes. So they analyzed these stories and from that, they could pull these, these set identities or archetypes, identity types, right? So, that's for me is is where identity starts. You need to start as deep as that. So there, there are 12 archetypes and, and various people have got various definitions of them. But an, archetype, an example of an archetype would be a challenger or a warrior or a champion or an explorer or a sage or an everyman or a leader or a, or a ruler. Those are types. All of them are common but they uh, that's what they're about right um so identity starts there it starts on that level it's who do i believe i am who i need to be am, am i a warrior am i a champion am i a crusader which is all about you know i want to help other people have impact in the world or am i an explorer or a sage in other words i'm either using discovery or i'm using um my knowledge and expertise to guide people on a better path. Mm. So it sounds very ethereal, but that for me is identity. It's that belief that right at my core, who am I? And I mean, as you would know, because of what you do, your core identity of who you are, um, you know, a lot hangs from that. Your rituals, good rituals hangs from who you are. Good habits hangs from who you are. And, in a modern world, I mean, the new thing that everybody's talking about is personal, personal brand building. We all need to become brands at the end of the day. And I, I buy into that quite a bit. I, I buy into that a little bit. I think it's quite important to do your own personal brand building in the social media world that we live in. But it, 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 the point is identity starts there. It starts with a core belief, who I am. Not just, a, you know, not just who, I am Andre. And that's your logo. For, <laughs> that's your brand name, for lack of a better word. But identity starts with understanding who is Andre. And obviously that, that's a process that you have to go through. It's not you don't wake up one morning and say to yourself, mm, you know, I am a warrior. You might be, but you have to test that a little bit and see what that is. And I also like what together. you're saying, Andre, about, about um, who do I believe I am? Yes. Because uh, what I'm gathering from that is if you believe you are a certain um, archetype of certain kind of person, that gets stress tested by life. Yes, 
So you, you look at your results in your life, yeah. the things you accomplish. You look at your rituals, your habits. Mm -hmm. And I want you to maybe say something about the difference between rituals and habits in a moment. Yeah. But I mean, all, all, all of those things get uh, stress tested by life. Yeah. And if you, if you get that feedback, I'm, I'm guessing that's where you, do the, you make the adjustment. 100%. Maybe this is not really who I am. So yeah. who am I or who do I need to become for me mm. to have what I want to be mm. able to go for the things I dream of. 100%. And that I mean, also gets stress tested, right? That dream, that ideal, exactly. that vision. Exactly. I mean, if you think about what is interesting to me is we spend, I mean, I specifically, I spend a lot of time with you know, big organizations, medium sized, small organizations talking exactly about this or who are we? What are we about? You know, how are we going to communicate this? How does this belief who we are and our purpose translate into an idea or a product or a service? But what I find interesting then is as, as people, I don't think as people we spend enough time doing this. In other yeah. words, interrogating who we are, what we're about. I so I mean, like, it's probably got to do with what I do for a living, but I, I'm I probably drive my wife up the wall, but I'm consistently busy with this process and stress testing that. But the thing is, not, I don't think everybody's busy with that. But we, as, if you want to better yourself, you need to, you need to be busy with that all of the time as a, as a, as a human being. And you're 100% right. It's, at the end of the day, it's strategy, right? We all have a strategy. We all need to have a strategy about our life. Um, I always, one of my... He's not the nicest guy, right? Not by any, he's a bit of a tyrant, depending on who you speak to. But I always look at Genghis Khan mm. as, a, as a historical figure. He had, I mean, you can see it today. When you read the literature, there's an incredible book called The Secret History of the Mongols. It's a fascinating piece of literature. Mm. It's hard to get your hands on it. But if you can, I really, if you're, if you're interested in that stuff, it's really fascinating. Where they tell the story of Genghis Khan. His real name is Temujin. And how he had a strategy to conquer the world and how he realized who do I need to be to conquer the world? Mm -hmm. And how do I need to get my people to unite as one in order to conquer the world? Because when he took over, when he became the, um, the Khan, the great Khan, um, you know, the Mongols was, they were a whole bunch of nomadic tribes constantly fighting each other. So he had to unite them. So together we are stronger. And then he went about and he wrote um, a constitution, a law book called the Yasa that said from now on, we will all behave like this. You know, so there's strategy in life. And there's another guy that's a, he's a hero. I mean, like he's incredible. His name is Miyamoto Musashi. He's a samurai. He's considered to be the greatest samurai of all time, right? And you can see it in his life. He, so he's a swordsman. He's a samurai or the ronin, a masterless samurai, but incredible swordsman. And he, when you, he's got a book called The Book of Five Rings. And when you read that book, he doesn't refer to himself as a samurai. He refers to himself as a strategist. And so everything he do is strategic. So our life is strategic. We, specifically in this world we live in right now, where I think about young people and the opportunities and options they have to do incredible things, the platform. I mean, it's like, you know, geez, like, when I went to university, my options were teacher, doctor, domini, engineer. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I ended up not doing any of those things or, you know, you know, or an accountant or a lawyer or something like that. Whereas now you know, the field's open. So because there's more options, spend more time understanding who I am, what I want to do in life and develop your strategy for that. And remember that the big strategic questions, but there are five, well, some people disagree with me. Before but you go into I, those questions, Andre, yeah. I want yeah. to know them. So make a note of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to comment on the, what you just said about the options for young people these days. Mm. It's massive in yeah, terms of what they can do with their life for the rest of their life kind of thinking. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you know um, Barry Swartz's uh, book, The Paradox of Choice. Uh, no, no, no. Well, basically, it comes down to we think more options, you know, will be better, will be yeah. help us to make better decisions. But actually, it paralyzes us because of 100%. context, like you mentioned. Yeah. Because you can compare three things to one another and make a decision. Yeah. But yeah. if you compare 20 or 100, 
or 300 things to one another, then that sense of loss when you choose one option becomes yeah. very big. Because if you yeah. choose one out of three, you lose the other two, but you can compare them. But now okay. if you choose one, you lose out on 200 others. Mm. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of why we should then focus more on ourselves, our belief systems, who am I to guide us and help us make those kind of decisions. Okay. So the thing is, was the, the, the paradox in that is coming up with options is not necessarily a bad thing because mm -hmm. I, I think the, 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 it's not a counter. It's just, we get stuck in life when we've got too much options and ironically enough, we get stuck in life if we don't have any options. Mm. So because if we've got no options, that breeds fear, right? And the more fear there is, the less we, the less we do, we just get stuck. Yeah. So the way to get out of fear, you, you have to create more options. If you create more creative options, you've got options to play, right? Mm. And there's a, um, a great South African strategist called Nicola Tyler. That's her thinking. So I really have to give her credit for that. But that's her thinking. She says, don't go into the cycle of fear. Go to the cycle of hope. And the way that you create hope is you come up with more options. This is a brilliant strategic thinker. So, but now the problem is now you've ended up, like you said, with too many options. And now because you, don't have, you, haven't done in, you haven't put in the hard work to understand this is who I am. This is what I am about. Because you haven't done that work, I'm stuck. How do I make this decision? How do I understand the opportunity cost? That's difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, when students, I work with a lot of students, when they don't know who they are, you know, mm. they don't know what, you know, they, they don't even have something to believe, you know, who they want to be. Exactly. Who I, that I believe I want to be. They look at the options and they just think yeah. about the possible outcome. 100%. If I choose this path, I will, I will be rich or successful yeah. or I will 100%. be able to help people in this or that way. Yeah. Out aligning it with who they are because they don't know. They haven't done that work. And it's, it's hard work yeah. to do, as you, as you would probably know, saying you, you focus on that a lot. So, so it, it, it is hard work, I think, in terms of what you're saying, because I think, I think it's a societal thing. I think as societies globally, we say to our children, when we speak about who are you, the discussion isn't really who are you, who, who do you want, who are you really and how are you going to develop that? It is go do something to become a lawyer or a doctor or a strategist. or whatever. that'll be who that you become, are. That's who you are, but that's not who you are. I might be a sage that is a strategist, but in the same way, I can be a sage that's a cricketer or a sportsman or a, a rocket designer these days. Or a I like the fact that you, you um, differentiate between a sportsman and a cricketer. Because in my mind, they're not the yeah. same thing. <laughs> I'm not a cricket fan. <laughs> I played way too much cricket. Whenever I think of cricket, I think of standing on a cricket pitch, quarter past three on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, and there's 50 overs to go. So that's, I've got post-traumatic stress when I think about yeah, cricket. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, you, you, you said there's five strategies or five ways to develop. Oh, there's five questions. So if you think Question. about... Yeah, so, so if you think about... Any kind of the basic strategy, strategic questions that you need to ask yourself are the following, right? It is, number one, what's your strategic ambition? And to make that real for people, your strategic ambition is pretty much your identity and your purpose. That's your belief system. I believe this is who I am. In order to live who I am and to live my purpose, I need to achieve. I need to do. I want to achieve. I want to succeed in this the following ways. That's strategic ambition. The, the funny thing is the clearer that is the more effective you're going to do i think a lot of people get stuck in not implementing or developing strategy because they're not clear on who am i what's my purpose where am i going so the strategic ambition but it's mm -hmm. then the second strategic question is where am i going to play in order to achieve my strategic ambition where am i going to play so in other words, where will I compete if it's a competitive environment that you want to go into? Where do I want to play? What's my sandbox? If you can have that, if you can define that, then you can say, okay, I know what my ambition is. I know where I'm going to play. And then the third question is, how am I going to compete and win? In other words, how am I going to play and win? What's my big idea? What's my thing? How am I going to win in the sandbox where I'm going to compete? And that goes for business and in life. And if you can figure that out, then you can say, well, okay, 
if this is my vision, this is where I'm going to play, and this is how I'm going to play and win, what do I need to put in place in order to achieve that? What are the things, what are the, the, the strategic term is capabilities. What are the capabilities that I'm going to, in a human terms, it's skill sets, strengths, expertise, all of those things that I need to put in place. And then if you're a business, the conversation then goes to what's my value proposition or what's my brand going to be? What's my message going to be? That's the next set. And that, that's sort of like some people put it together with how am I going to, comp- how am I going to compete and win? I use it as a separate discussion. And then the final thing is systems and procedures. Like what, what systems and procedures and protocols do I need to follow in order to implement the strategy? Those are the five or six top. Those are the five or six strategic discussions that you need to have with yourself. Could you go through them again? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first one is <clears throat> the first one is strategic ambition. Mm-hmm. So strategic ambition is purpose, identity. Who am I? What do I want to achieve in life or in business? That's the first one. And like I said, it, it gets execution of strategy gets easier and the development of strategy gets far easier when you're clear on what your strategic ambition is and what I want to achieve. I think we, we live in a world where we consistently say, or at least my world, well, simplify, let's simplify. Let's turn it into that three sexy words. Okay. That's fine. If you want to come up with a great pipeline for your brand, it's not fine. If you want to define your vision, Okay. Or if you want to define your purpose, make it clear so that you can understand it. And the stress test for that is always, can you explain it in one sentence? <laughs> you can explain something, you can understand it. So that's the first thing. So the second question then is, where am I going to play? Or where am I going to compete? What is the sandbox where I want to play in? On what borders am I going to play? Um, and you can think about, you know, like I think everything is about value. I, my philosophy in, about strategy or business is value creation. So it's almost like, where do I want to go and create value? Do I want to become a doctor or do I want to be the best possible business leader or whatever the case may be? That's where you play. Mm-hmm. And it's about understanding the opportunities then where you can play so that you can achieve your strategic ambition. That's a second. Still aligned with an identity. But it needs to be. It's always aligned to that. So it's almost like the narrative that you need to go through is this is who I am. This is why I do what I do or what I want to do. This is how I'm going to live who I am so that I can achieve the following dream. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I want to do the following things. That's strategic ambition type of narratives. And then it is in order to achieve that strategic ambition, where do I need to play? Where do I need to compete? And that's understanding the sandbox. So in, for me to achieve my ambition, to me in order to, to do the thing that makes me tick, I need to go into the medical field or I need to play in the wellness space or the enablement space or the empowerment space or the sports field. It doesn't matter. It's just about understanding. If you can, that's why that first identity discussion is so important because if you can understand that, where I play becomes infinitely easier to understand. So if you've done that, then the third strategic discussion is to say, um, how am I going to play and win? Because strategy is about winning, right? Life is about winning. It doesn't mean it's winning at the expense of someone else. Mm-hmm. That's business more often than not. And that's sports. But in life, it's not at cost. It shouldn't be at the cost of someone else. It's how will I compete and how will I win? In other words, how will I achieve my purpose, my identity, my goals and stuff like this in the sandbox that I've set out for myself. And then, and then the, the next discussion then is to say, well, what are the capabilities? What are the things that I need in order to win? Mm-hmm. And in, in business, that's, it's called capabilities or strengths. But for, for human beings or people, it is what are my personal strengths that I need to develop? What are my skill sets or expertise or knowledge gaps that I need to fill? What do I need to learn? How do I need to do? Habits and rituals would fall in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from a business, business discussion then goes into, if you understand the capabilities and all of that stuff, then the business discussion goes into, what is my value proposition going to be? In other words, what is this product or service that I'm going to give people? What should my brand look like? Well, how am I going to communicate? How am I going to sell this? 
but in a personal, in a, for, you know, for people, that then comes to what value, how can I translate my personal purpose into something that's going to impact the world? What's that thing that I'm going to do that's going to make a difference in people's lives? What is that tangible things that I want to do so that I can become valuable citizens so that I can impact people's lives so that I can live my purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the final one is then systems and procedures. And I guess habits and rituals and ways of doing can fit in there as well. But in business sense, your systems and procedures are the, the protocols that you follow in order to execute and implement strategy. And it's the same for human beings. If we don't, if we don't set out rituals and ways of working, and if we're not disciplined in following those things, we're never going to implement strategy. Strategy gets lost on implementation. It's you know, if we don't execute, you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't execute it, you're never going to. You're never going to learn. You're never going to stress test. You're never going to fight the battles that's going to build your confidence as a human being or a business leader, whoever you're going to, whoever you're going to be. Does, does that just like, even mean that you can go through all of that, you know, identity, why I want, how I want yeah. to do it, you know, all of that, and then still not implement? Or yeah, will, will the fact that you go through all the others, you know, generate the will to implement or the motivation to implement or not, not necessarily? I think that's a personal question. I think some people get stuck in the process. Like, so I, that's one thing about me. So I, it's because of my personality. I get stuck in the, in the cycle. I get stuck because I really like thinking about things. Mm-hmm. I get stuck in thinking. So I have learned through time and time again, I need to be hard on myself and I need to build in as many processes and protocols to, to help me implement and execute. Because implementation and execution is scary, right? That's where yes. it turns into reality. Yeah. So that's where the systems and procedures, and that's why that is so important that you write that down for yourself to say that this is how I execute strategy. And, and part of that is also to, to figure out what works for you. Like over the years, I have figured out what works for me. Like I know that I find it hard to start implementing something if I haven't drawn out a mind map for argument's sake. Because a mind map is how my brain thinks, I think. So I know if I'm stuck, I draw a mind map of what I need to do you or see what I want path. to achieve, how it fits. And then all of a sudden, I go over to action. So basically, I think my triggers are if I'm clear and if I'm confident that I know enough. Now, that's very specific to me. My brain likes the idea that I know enough. Like I, I can handle a lot of complexity and uncertainty, but I need to be certain that I know enough to move forward. Mm-hmm. So. I think people get stuck or people go through something and there's a failure because things happen. You can't plan for everything in life, right? You can plan for, you know, things going wrong and stuff, but you can't plan for everything. Um, Things go wrong. People lose confidence and they don't start implementing. And then they go back to thinking and worrying and, Oh, is my strategic ambition, right? But you have to go through a few cycles. It's a, it is an iterative and a systemic process at the end of the day. Uh, can you say something about the rituals and habits now and how they might be different? Yeah. So, so how I think about rituals and habits is the ritual is the thing that I do to form a habit. Okay. So that's how I look at it. I look at it as a, and there'll be probably a lot of other definitions, but I think a ritual is the, the little mental model or little cycle that I go through to implement a healthy habit. And habits for me is something that I automatically do. Now, the interesting thing is, I think, I believe that a habit is not just uh, not biting your fingernails. I think a habit is also how we think about ourselves. Mm, absolutely. So how you speak. That's why language, the words that I use is so important. And then all brings back to identity, why identity is so important. If I'm a sage, if I'm an expert, if I'm a guru, then I need to speak like a guru. Because if I speak like a guru, I start projecting that image of, well, this is what I am. I am an expert, right? And that then means I can reinforce that habit that I am an expert. And you also, I like, like a lot of people get caught up there with that. A, um, yeah. I like the idea, idea that you actually, you project that, but you also kind of digest that yes. if you act that way. 
and internalize it. You know, one, one, of, uh, one of the things I often tell people when I ask them, why don't you have what you want? I, I tell them, don't give me BS, <laughs> meaning yeah. no blaming other people or circumstances, yeah. but also no shaming yourself. Mm. You know, I, I am weak, I'm lazy, you know, I am a procrastinator, things like that. Instead, I go to turn it around and give me SB, meaning systems, which is about rituals and structure mm. and things that help you create habits, mm. uh, help you create the kind of things that you actually want to do. And secondly, beliefs, which is where you started the identity part of it. Does that make yeah. sense? 100%. And also remember, it's, it's also got to do with strategy more often than not is a, it's a, it's a cyclical is the wrong word, but it is systemic which means it's a system. Our lives are a system. We're, we're, it's, very, it's a complex idea, but we are systems consistently engaging with systems. And if you start thinking about yourself mm -hmm. as a system, you understand that it's something that needs to consistently better itself. Like there's a fascinating, there's a guy called Nicholas Lerman. And Nicholas Lerman is a, I think he's a sociologist, if I'm not, I stand to be corrected, but I think he's a sociologist. And he developed something called, or he appropriated an idea called autopoiesis. And autopoiesis is, it's, a, it's basically, oh, I need to tell the whole story for it to make sense. So there were these two guys that they looked for an alternative definition of what is life? How do we define life? And then they came up with this idea of autopoiesis and replication and blah, blah. So from, but it was from a biological point of view. No, from a biological point of view, that, that way of thinking never it never got any traction. It didn't make sense. But then Nicholas Lerman uh, read about it. And he said, this is an interesting idea to, to take to systems thinking, specifically social systems. Mm. So autopoiesis is where you have a social system. In other words, a group of people together or a tribe or a group or an individual. And in order for that social system to continue to exist, its core idea needs to be replicated and continuously be replicated. For me, that, that's value. That's, that's what purpose is about. It's about, we need, I need to consistently replicate and refine and evolve and improve the idea that I stand for, who I am. And that to me is very relevant to strategy. Strategy is not a thing that starts and stops. It's a continuous thing. I need to consistently check out for what's happening. And it's so just need to get feedback. Like I've done this thing. What is the feedback? So I've implemented this strategy. I have now started a YouTube channel mm. while we're on this. And I'm putting out this type of content. How is it being received? What are people saying about it? And that takes a lot of bravery, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to be open to, for people to criticize you. So like for a long time in my life, when I was younger, criticism was a real problem for me. So today I understand because of my identity and my personality and I've done that work that and that's just a trigger. It's got to do with how I grew up. So it's just a trigger. So I need to just tell myself, when anybody criticizes me, it's okay. It's just feedback. It's not criticism. I take it as feedback. It's just feedback. It's just telling me I need to change my system. I need to change my point of view. I need to adapt slightly. Mm -hmm. And I need to take it to heart and say, well, I know who I am, but I'm getting this feedback, which means I'm either not expressing who I am clearly enough or simply enough, or the things that I'm doing isn't reflecting who I am as an individual. Mm. So, you know, simply put, if, if I'm an expert and I give someone a piece of work, but it's filled with spelling mistakes, you know, I can't be an expert, right? So and I, I say that because I struggle with spelling. I'm a little bit dyslexic type of thing. So I, I really struggle with spelling. So it's hard work for me, but yeah. Mm. Makes sense. I like, uh, I like the thing you said about systems interacting with systems yes because different systems will have a different effect on your system right? about people or organizations or circumstances it's all yeah. about the system and also like when you say your strategy is systemic um it's not a model in terms of model being static it's yes. a model and it just kind of plows through life even though many people live with a mental model that's yeah, yeah. instead of a strategic system that can adapt yeah. and also i like the idea that when 
when you are interacting with other systems and uh, and you get that feedback on what this interaction is generating yeah. Yeah. you probably also have the option to say okay this these two systems won't gel they won't work yeah. together because yeah. one part is where do i need to grow or adapt the other part is is maybe the other system needs to adapt mm. or they're just not compatible or these differences are okay yeah we can coexist and even you know work together on certain things um, yeah without completely adapting the other systems yeah. mindset beliefs yeah. priorities whatever mm -hmm. Now, I think that that's why, again, that's why that identity and purpose piece and belief system piece is so important, right? Because mm -hmm. if you've got that clear, then it's far simpler to understand what the other system's belief system is. Mm -hmm. And is there resonance and rapport between the two systems? Mm -hmm. Do we believe the same things? Do we do the same things? We don't have to have the same identity, but at least we can have the same principles, yeah. ways of working. And then the other thing is also I... Um, like I mentioned, I'm big on value. For me, it's about, it's a very simple idea. It's just, I believe we are here to have impact in other people's lives. So it is, my thing is, I'm a giver by nature. So for me, it's just about, I really want to have impact in people's lives and see a difference. Mm -hmm. But then I start looking for that cues. I start looking for that feedback. If I'm engaging with another system and there's no, there's no impact or there is an exploitation of it, then I'm going to say, well, I'm no longer, I'm no longer going to have the ability to have impact in this person's life or the system's life. So I'm either going to withdraw and see what the feedback is, or I'm going to try harder and see what the feedback is. Mm -hmm. But at some stage you need to realize that I'm putting a lot of value in here and it's not just about getting it back. That giving is about giving it away, right? Yeah. But you see the giving away has got no impact. You can rather take that value that you give and apply it to another system because the feedback will be better. Yeah. Makes okay. sense. Makes but sense. that's why that yeah. it's finite. What you have, your, your, what you have to give is, is finite. 100%. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Can you try and dumb it down for us, Andre, in terms of if you give advice to young people? And you tell them, yes, here are the three principles in terms of decision-making. Yeah. You make it very simple. Yeah. You remember um, these three things, you'll make, you know, a 50%, you'll get a 50% improvement on the kind of decisions you make. Now you're supposed to go challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm thinking, I'm, not, I'm going into thinker mode now. Okay. If I could simplify it down. Um, if I can, if I can simplify it down, I think decision making becomes easier. If I could, if I had to use three things, the three things would be: be clear about who you are and what you want. Okay. I think that's thing number one. Just be clear on that and consistently work on that. Okay. The second thing is take a breather. When you need to make a tough decision, just take a breather, right? Just, like just sit back. You don't have to make that now, but just go make a cup of coffee and think about it. On that, yeah, on that sorry to interrupt you before you mention your third one. Is, is, um, I think it's in the book, Getting Things Done. Yeah. But um, he talks about decision-making. And when someone brings him a decision, it's like, I can't remember the author's name now. Dan Goldman, I want to say, but I don't think it's him. But anyway, uh, ask how much time you have to make this decision. Ask how much time you have. That yeah. helps you to not feel the, the, the stress of, I have to make this decision immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And just give yourself that breather, that time. So, so, just, like that one so just, just take the fear away because a lot of time, there's a lot of uncertainty. Whether you, and the, thing, the scary thing is sometimes you're not even aware of the uncertainty or the fear or the pressure that you might be feeling but just when you make a critical decision just take a breather you can think about it i mean you're not <laughs> you know it's really, uh, something you just said previously about you know you're, you're it's an adaptive system that can evolve and stuff like that i mean i always like to say you're not a tank okay <laughs> you're not a tank tanks just run through things you're not a tank i mean you're a human being right so you have time to think about it and reflect and stuff like that so, so that, 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 that would be my second thing. Okay. My third thing would be to say, 
um, do you have a process or get a process for making a decision? That's a very simple thing. Get a process. Like your mind mapping thing. Like your mind mapping thing. And, but get one that works for you. Like Jeff Bezos has got this thing. He says you get two types of decisions. You get one decision is things that if you make this decision, you can't change it. This is a heavy decision. You go down this rabbit hole. This is it. You're no longer in Kansas, Dorothy. You're in Wonderland. Right? <laughs> the second type of decision is then things that you can change. Mm. So that's an idea of process. Understand, understand, get a process that works for you uh, and understand those things because if you can do that, you can make better decisions. So be clear about who you are and what you want. Take a breather. Always take a rain check. Understand, create space for yourself to really think about it. And the third thing is get a process to follow to make that decision. That's Whether cool. it's pros and cons or whatever it is to a complex mathematical formula, just get something that works for you. Awesome. We've talked about a few books already, but maybe what are two books you'd recommend for people, business, you know, business owners or you know, individuals who want to learn about decision making or strategy or things like that? Um, I'll tell you right now. Let me just pick up my Kindle here. It's so nifty to do these things on the on the, on a computer. Yeah. But there's one book when it comes to decision making. There's a few, and some of them are very complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, but I find um, uh, where is it? Here we go. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very simple book. The book is called Decision Quality, Value Creation from Business, uh, from Better Business Decisions. And it's written by Carl Spitzler, Anna Winter, and Jennifer Meyer. All right. So Decision Quality. That's, the, that's the, it's a nice, simple, practical, effective book that you can apply, not, not only to life, but that you can apply to your business as well. It's a, it's a very good book. Thank you. Great. Okay. Last question. Or do you have another book or you want to stick with that one? Um, I'll stick with, well, when it comes to decision making, I'll, I'll stick to that one. The other ones are quite, uh, gets very technical and, and, and stuff like that. That's a very practical, very easy to use book right. when it comes to decision making. Yeah. Uh, you, you've touched on my last question already, but maybe you can put it into different words or clarify it a bit more. What do you feel, uh, is your superpower my superpower yeah so my superpower i figured out is is that i don't i don't have a problem with complexity mm. so i can read lots of information and i'm i'm, I mean, I'm not i'm not a brainiac but i can re retain large portions of that information so i can read 10 books and i can understand those books and i can retain the information and then I can put them together into a new bucket of knowledge. Mm. Okay, to you, <clears throat> if you're going to solve this problem, we can think about it like this because of this, what this guy said, about it like this because of what this guy said, and we can bring that together. So now we've got a, a better lattice work of knowledge and actionable intelligence to help us make this decision or develop this strategy. That's my superpower. It's integrating knowledge. Ah integrating broad spectrum knowledge and repurposing and repackaging it into a tool that you can use to make a difference in your life or your business. Very cool. And that would be my, my superpower. Okay. Like my thing is, so I, I really, I've got a, my personal aspiration is I really want to be a polymath. I'm a far way off from that. So I'm an aspirational polymath and a polymath <laughs> is someone that's, that's got broad, broad spectrum expertise in all bunch of topics. Mm -hmm. So that's sort, of, that's sort of like my goal because there's, there's something attached to that. If you're, there's a lot of work being done in polymathy. And so the, the ultimate goal of a polymath is to have what they call big C impact. And big C impact is to develop an idea and thinking that is not just new, but that's got big, large-scale societal impact. Mm. So it really changes how we think and how we do. So that's sort of like my my big thing yeah yeah and you're on your way there because you're already a great cocktail guest i'm thinking that yeah 100 i just need to i just need to get it up from cocktails to next will probably be i don't know oh, <laughs> next will be bright yes. no great bright <laughs> <laughs> 
Dana. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now, Ander, uh, where can people reach you when, when companies or individuals want to work with, with, uh, with you? How can they get hold of you? Well, I think the, the, the simplest way or the best way is always just an, an email. So uh-huh. I've got um, two email addresses. The one is Andre at redteamintel.com. And the second one is far simpler. It's just Andre at andrelaru.co.za. Okay. Awesome. That's the best way to get hold of me. Yeah. And you say that's why you, you chose your company name, the Red, Red Team thing. Just, yeah, team I mean, we're uh, actually done, but I want uh, just say a few things about that. So, the, um, uh, actually, I, I've had quite a few businesses in my life, consulting businesses specifically. And years ago, I had a business and the business was doing very, very well. But it was very focused. It was very, it wasn't niche. It was just very focused in regards to what it did um so i sort of like went through a bit of soul searching and i said to myself it's like there needs to be a better way of helping businesses you can't be so focused uh, on this one discipline doing this one discipline is not going to save a business Mm. um and it was it, it, it was it was purely around brand building it was brand strategy and brand strategy everything else and i realized that just like i um I'm not going to save businesses purely by redoing their brand. Mm. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I, that I do for people and whatever. And then I read about something that happened in, um, in Israel. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting story. So they, sorry, the story. So in 19, I think it's 1967 was the six day war between Israel and the nations around them. And pretty much the Israelis, you know, they, they attacked everyone. I mean, they wiped out the Egyptian air force, I think before 10 o'clock in the morning on day one. So the Egyptians had no air force. It was just incredible. So it was this incredible victory for the Israelis. And then the Israelis, they came together, the, the Knesset or whoever, the, the, the thinkers there. And they said, uh, let's develop, let's package the success recipe that we have. And let's call it, I think they call it the concept or something like that. And they said, as long as the, as the concept is in place, no one will ever attack us again. Everyone will be too scared. And then fast forward to 1973. Um, I think it's in, either in May or October. And it's in Yom Kippur. It was, it was the Yom Kippur war. So, so and here's the, here's the thing, right? So they get attacked on the eve of Yom Kippur, uh, you know, the holiday. And um, they were nearly decimated and just through just sheer grit and determination they they fight back and they lose quite a lot of land i think they lost the sinai desert and stuff like that my memory is a bit my my history is a bit hazy during these things um but anyway so long story short they and the americans helped them but the israelis survived but they nearly get they, they nearly get wiped out they come close to the brink and then they, after when the dust settled, they came together again and they looked at each other and they said, hang on, the concept is still valid. So the concept's still in place. And we had double agents and spies telling us that the attack would happen and we didn't listen. Mm-hmm. So they went to, into a self-reflection period and they said to themselves, we need to stop this from ever happening again. So what they then did is on their leadership council, they one guy was appointed and his job on that council was to, to do the following. Whenever everybody was in agreement, he had to attack the idea. So when everybody agrees, his job is to attack the idea and to disagree with everyone and to drive a dialogue to say why it is a bad idea so that they could stress test their thinking in the future. So that this will never happen again. And then that, so, and that became red teaming. So red teaming is when you have um, someone, an outside person, objectively stress testing and sense checking the thinking and ideas of a company. And there's all methodology and, and process that you go through to do that. And then after the 9-11 uh, event, you know, uh, where uh, the Trade Towers was attacked, um, you know, it, that kind of thinking was adopted by all the world's militaries and leadership companies and stuff like that, specifically now in a period like this, because it, it helps you plan for unintended, you know, or unseen uh, event, uh, eventualities or things that are happening and stuff like that. And it's quite interesting. And it's quite interesting to just 
talk about it a little bit because it, it ties back to the other stuff we spoke about. And that is red teaming is about the first thing is obviously you've got your idea, you've got your strategy, but the first part of that process is then to understand the thinking that led to this idea being formulated. So how did we get here? So you don't stress test the idea. You're not critical about the idea. You're critical about the knowledge and the thinking and the processes that led you here. And there's various methodologies and processes that you can use. And then what you do is you take that knowledge and learning and insight about the thinking that got you here to develop alternative ideas, creative, doable alternatives that, that you just come up with them. And then you say, okay, we've got two bodies of knowledge here. We've got a new narrative around a positive possible solution and we've got background information that we can use. And then you use that to aggressively attack and stress test your original idea. And then you'll see one of three things. One, your idea is actually good or your idea is good, but we can improve it like this. Or three, it's actually a terrible idea. It's not a good idea, but here is a better idea. And that's red teaming. And that's something that I do quite a lot of. And that's another way of making a better decision um, in your organization. So yeah, that's what red teaming is about. Awesome. Awesome. Andre, once again, thank you so much for joining us on Fresh Perspective. And folks, remember, if you change your perspective, if you change your mind, you can transform your life. Thanks, Andre. Until next time. Thank you. Cheers.